No, praise be unto all. Oh, oh please, not that. Listen to that. Oh, isn't that exciting? That's really using the medium. Listen to something. See, you, you got to pretend you're... Uh, look carefully in the radio there for a minute. Just look carefully. All right. Hmm. <laughs> does that come over? I'll bet it does. You remember... Uh, Oh, no, no, we don't want to talk about that. That's sickening, sickening. At last, nudity comes to radio. I'm doing this program entirely in the nude. In keeping with, uh, you know, the whole new movement in uh, nudity over all us. Come on, bring it up there, big. Yeah, I'm really, seriously, I'm doing the show tonight totally in the nude. And, uh, that's uh, kind of interesting. How, how do you like it in there, gang? Okay? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> George, uh, well, let's see. You know, it's, it's, we've always been known right here, a spot on the dial, for great breakthroughs in truth. And uh, it's about time, you know, people have been wearing pants and shirts and stuff like that and jockey shorts and everything for too long doing radio. It's constricted them. It's held them down. It's prevented the true expression of truth and beauty. It's prevented, and I say, the Victorian morality, the outmoded, idiotic morality of our past and gone age has got... Boy, oh, get excited there. Excuse me. Whew. By the way, I notice one thing. When you do these shows in the nude, the, the uh, seat here scratches now. I just I never noticed how scratchy the seat was. You see, now it's giving me a, a more a more impressive tactile knowledge of the environment around me, and I notice another thing. Oh, oh boy, is this air conditioning ever efficient in here? <coughs> Brack! Holy smokes, you say uh, the secret mission of the what, buzzard? Secret mission of the uh, you-know-what shepherd. Uh, ta-dum-pum. Would you please, if you will, Tony, bring it in. I'm... Zwei, drei. That's things. Oh, I'm sitting here in the all together. And you be Oh, sex is coming into radio. Radio. We're doing it now with nothing on but that kind of small blush. I don't know. Little kazoo work. Let's see how it works in the nude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, your love belongs to me. Oh, baby. Oh, at night when you're asleep. Yeah. Into your tent. I'll creep, 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 creep.
groovy. This is a very loud microphone here tonight. Listen to this thing. There, that's better. That's better. Let's see. Ah, there, it's working. Oh, I'm the sheet. Hey, you know, that reminds me. I'd like to, uh... I'd like to, uh, do something we rarely do here. And that is read directly from a letter of one of our, uh... One of our spies out there. And, uh, by the way, nobody qualifies as a spy unless he signs his name. So forget it, friend. <laughs> Yeah, she, she, she could ever be. He says, Shepherd. He says, uh, he says, Shepherd, since you found New Jersey worthy of a salute, how about giving the slug bug a moral booster? It is believed that after one encounter with him in New Jersey, where he assumes many disguises, of course, looking into shop windows and at posters can prove to be a very educational experience. Here is one here in New Jersey that was displayed in a bank window. In big letters, it said, Tell your local burglar to go fly a kite. He said, I'd like to hear of anyone who has taken his advice, and if so, what were the results? <laughs> you know, a shot in a pancreas. Now, now here, here we're getting down into the basis of this whole thing here. He says, It seems that everyone is trying to be hip these days. The other night, my old man and my old lady were humming along with Lawrence Welk. And his champagne music makers. Of course, uh, something was going on at the moment. Lawrence Welk uh, stepped out in a white sports jacket and dazzled 300 little old ladies in the audience with a smile that clearly told that he'd been hit in the Geritol bottle. Happening to sense that something unusual was about to occur, I decided to stick around and just watch the family, you know, watch. Have you ever sat and watched people watch something? That, oh, listen, that is more fun than actually watching the event itself. Uh, I, I, uh, I love to go out to Shea Stadium and just sit there and watch. And uh, just watch the people. It's far more interesting, really, than the ball game. Because, you know, when you sit back, uh, ball players, no matter whether you know that they're beloved people or not, they tend to all look alike when you're 17,000 feet from them, sitting up in the upper deck somewhere, you know, right next to the peanut gallery. And so, <laughs> I mean, you know, Crane Pool is tomorrow's St. Louis Cardinal. Yeah, have you noticed how quickly they forgot Ron Hunt? Ron Hunt out there? Oh yeah, remember Ron? They were they were going to make Ron Hunt president here in town, and now today they don't. I bet half the Met fans don't even remember he was with them. <laughs> you remember when Warren Spahn was the big local hero? Yeah. Oh Warren Spahn, where have you gone? La But uh, it's kind of great, you know, to sit around and watch people watch Lawrence Welk. Because that must, you know, that's a double, in a way, a, a double jeopardy there. In a way, it's it's a it's a double lesson in uh, masochism. He's watching Lawrence Welk, you know, being watched by people. He said, "I decided to stick around after 45 minutes of champagne music making, dancing, and singing." You know, that's the only program I think. Uh, believe me, since the uh, since the Providence Funeral Parlor which I used to do a show for, and I thought that was a groovy name for a funeral parlor, since the Providence Funeral Parlor in Elyria, Ohio, decided to cancel its program of organ melodies. That's the only show I've ever heard of where somebody seriously will walk out. It's, it, you know, I can't tell whether the Lawrence Welk show is... Tr now, I'm going to use a phrase, which is last year's phrase, but it describes something, really. I can't tell whether the Lawrence Welk show is... is Probably the highest development of camp, or, 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 
Fellini is right. The world is a madhouse. I can't tell. <laughs> I mean, here, here, I, I, I watched this scene one night when, when this girl came out. I, I like to watch it occasionally just for, you know, because it's such a, a wild, strange thing to watch. Uh, uh, out came this girl, and she's dressed in this long gown. They always wear long gowns on that show, right up to their gizzard, you know. They don't, there's no such thing as a, as a bosom on that show, Dad. Uh, there's a bodice. <laughs> so, so this girl came out. She came out walking out there, and Lawrence Wilkes says, uh, he says, and now uh, we have a, a, a favorite tune of all of you out there, uh, and it's a tune that all of you have been writing in uh, and then asking for. Uh, we want you to listen now uh, as little uh, Lesbia O'Toole uh, sings a favorite old melody uh, that all of you have loved from many, many years. Uh, Beautiful Ohio. One, a two, a three. And she goes, Beautiful Ohio. And I'm digging this. And I think any minute now, you know, they're going to go into the, you know, spike joint. No, they go all the way through it. And she's looking out, and she's got, I can't tell whether or not her contact lenses have slipped, whether she's really cross-eyed. I just can't tell because her eyes seem to be looking in two different directions like somebody was holding up two sets of cue cards. One of them was straight and the other one was obscene. Oh, beautiful Ohio. And then there'd be shots of the audience, and they're all sitting there looking so benign. And, uh, I thought, holy smokes. You know, maybe there is something to this generation gap after all. Although, I'm going to make a prediction. <laughs> I'm serious prediction. That 25 years from now, there will be these old codgers sitting in audiences, you know, with their hair. Because they'll, they'll retain. Have you noticed how people retain the, uh, the styles of their youth all through their life? Really. For example, Mamie Eisenhower obviously was a product of the flapper period. So she always wore her hair in that, that kind of bang thing that they've got, those bangs. Have you noticed that the... Yeah, they, they do. People genuinely do retain their styles. Now, it'll, they do it in subtle ways. They don't recognize... They may go out and buy a, you know, what they think is a hip dress, or they may go out and buy them. But in the real way, they retain their, their, their way of, of wearing things. For example, how many guys are walking around today who are probably in their late 60s who are still wearing a World War One, a post-World War One pompadour. If you take pictures, of the, you know, you look in the movies, see these old George Rapp pictures, the guy's hair is plastered down, he's got the stuff, and his hair shines and all that. You still see guys walking around. Now, they, they may go out and buy themselves a jazzy new tie, they may go out and buy themselves an Edwardian suit, but their hair, it, it, people betray themselves in those things. Like, for example, <laughs> yeah, like, like, for example, uh, uh, when, when a lot of people that are walking around today, when they were kids, so you betrayed in, in really, in really uh, personal things. Uh, like, for example, glasses. Now, I, I've noticed a lot of people who, say, reached their uh, fruition period. In other words, they became uh, uh, grown-ups in the 40s. So they still wear these plastic harlequin glasses, you know, the kind that go up. And they, they're kind of vaguely flesh-tinted, or else they'll be white with uh, sequins all over it, see? 
And, and they, they think they're very hip. They'll go out and they'll buy themselves a fantastic hip, new uh, pucci dress or something, but there they've got these, these crazy glasses on. Or else uh, they'll do some little thing, like the hair or uh, the shoe will always show. Now, now a great example of that is, uh, is uh, Nixon. Uh, you can just see that Nixon was, he came to, uh, you know, his, his uh, growing up period when all the guys, and this is, a, you know, he's, what is he, he's about 58, something like that. Well, he came to the, uh, you know, he grew up, obviously, in the very early 30s, uh, late 20s, and early 30s, when everybody, when you were really official, you wore a dark suit. You wore a dark suit and a dark tie and a white shirt. This was, <laughs> this was what it was. And even when he uh, is relaxing, you'll notice that he just like guys did of that period. They walk around, and there's always something a little bit wrong. They're, they're, uh, they'll put on Bermuda shorts, but their Bermuda shorts really look like uh, a dark suit that's been cut off. <laughs> you know, they, they, they retain that. And they retain these things for years and years, and I think people, people will be there. And I say, I say that in about, in about 25 or 30 years, here's going to be this crowd, you see, of... Uh, uh, you know, they're going to be all sitting in this auditorium uh, or a place, and their hair will be down to their shoulders. See? <laughs> and uh, there they are. See, there'll be little pouches under the eyes and all that. And they'll be sitting there, and they've got out. Uh, you know, they've got beads and all this stuff. And they'll and up on the stage will be this uh, this elderly group of guys with electric guitars and the whole bit. And and kids of that period are going to be watching. They'll be looking in for camp, you know, saying, holy, look at this, look at this, you know, there's <laughs> a man. And, and, uh, and it will be totally incomprehensible to them. They'll say, you know, this guy, Seth, he's got this long hair, you know, the poor old cooties, he's got the, where's the hair all the way there? You ought to see this guy. He's got these, with these nutty beads they wear. You know, just like uh, uh, watching a Lawrence Welk audience, you can't figure out why these people think these various things are groovy looking, you know, why they're decorative. For example, you'll see a lady sitting in an audience, and, and she's got this great big ugly orchid that's sitting on her shoulder. Well, now, this is an ugly, one of, probably one of the most evil-looking plants in the world. It's sticking its tongue out, you know, and it's thinking, yeah, oh, it's, it's a, and it's a, it's a goofy-looking plant. And so uh, she grew up, obviously, in the day whenever, when, when there was something really big going to happen in your life, a big event like the prom or... Uh, like uh, the big, uh, you know, the big sock hop down at the old U, whatever it was, you got this thing, and you put it up here, you see. And so so uh, you'll see them all sitting in there. Now, now they, they also came out of the day, these ladies came out of the day, when the first thing you had to do to your hair, no matter what it was like, was to you had to make it fuzzy. Uh, somehow the relationship of fuzzy hair to beauty has always been but uh, nevertheless, there are a lot of ladies who feel that if their hair isn't all fuzzy all over, you know, it's like a big, like a big Brillo pad on the top of their head, see? <laughs> and if it isn't fuzzy like that, they're not ready to go out. So they're always putting their hair up in these little things, you know. They've got all kinds of little knots and little uh, aluminum rheostats and stuff sticking out all over the top of their head. And uh, this, uh, this is a, their, their, their thing, you see, this is their time. Well, so Lawrence Wilk, of course, he's, he's part of that thing. And so when the girl gets up and sings, Beautiful Ohio with la tu-tu-tu. Well, that, that was there. That was considered really great, uh, you know, really a musical expression. At the time, they were kids, and they've never forgotten it. And so then when, he, when he's going to get, uh, you know, he's going to get jazzy. See, he says, uh, 
And now, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, pick up uh, the tempo. Uh, we'll pick up the tempo now with, uh, with uh, the chic uh, of air, a uh, B. Uh, and then they go one, uh, a two, uh, a three. Uh. Yep. <laughs> Away he goes. Now, he doesn't do it. Realizing the humor of this, he does it because he thinks now they're going to get really, uh, you know, it's getting real, they're getting real jazzy now. And, and that word, by the way, is very big. They're getting real jazzy. Swingy, they call it. Or, uh, of course, this, uh, the musicians have a lot of words for this. And I'm not putting these people down, so don't assume I am. I'm never merely saying that it's a, it's an interesting study in, in uh, you know, kind of people frozen in amber. Uh, I've had an idea for a long time. A great play would be to, would be to have a play that is based on the fly frozen in amber concept. Now, at any given time, the generation that's around at that time, whatever the time is, that generation believes that it is the truly enlightened generation. And this is because everybody, uh, after all, mad ego. <laughs> I mean, nobody is going to try to... Uh, you can never expect a guy to come along and say, now, I'll tell you what generation was really groovy, the one just before the one before the last one. No, no. It's always your generation that's got the truth. And uh, this is one of the reasons why the old man in the house is having trouble with the kid today, because both generations feel that they've got the truth, you know, right by the you-know-what. And uh, so there will always be this way. I mean, it's, it's a fact. Now, of course, what's happening, I think one of the biggest differences, of course, is that, is that uh, uh, somehow the, uh, almost every magazine and almost every radio station has discovered that catering to one generation is big business. And so, oh, yes, oh, let me tell you. Have you noticed practically every magazine today has an article on today's youth? I mean, whatever it is, life, oh, endless. I'm just getting so tired of uh, time, endless. Today's youth and uh, the bippy. Today's youth and drugs. Today's youth and the war. Today's youth and the breathing. Today's youth and walking around. And everyone's a special issue, see, because it sells. Oh, it sells like, uh, like, uh, like popcorn. Uh, I mean, it really does. And so... Uh, this is this is only probably the only really new development as far as the generational gap is concerned. I can remember, I, seriously, I can remember talking about generation gaps. So we're going to talk about it here. That I remember one time had this record player I built. See, I, I was an electronic cuckoo when I was a kid, and I remain so today. And so uh, I built a record player, and uh, you know, I built the actually it was a push pull. 6L6s. It had a lot of uh, tremendous audio. See, about 50 watts of audio. I had a pair of 6L6s with 700 volts. I had uh, 6C5s and 6SJ7s all driving this great big amplifier. And I worked on this baby for about six months. Well, then I went out and I I, uh, I scrounged around on the south side of Chicago where uh, their version of Cortland Street, uh, you know, New York's version of Radio Row, was uh, South Halsa Street and South State Street. So I'm down in the south side of Chicago and all these radio junk shops. And by the way, that's an underground world that hardly anybody outside of that world even suspects exists. Uh, the radio row in every given town. There is a radio row. Just like, uh, and, and incidentally, any guy that's interested at all in electronics immediately knows where it is. He finds out. He, he, he walks into a strange town, and ten minutes later... I mean, if he's a real uh, electronic cuckoo, he knows where Radio Row is. You know, he, he he's contacting Mother right away, and he's down there. Now, now this is a this is an un, unrecorded phenomenon because uh, most people don't. Most people think the radio cuckoos are guys who build Heath kits. Get out of that! Oh, come on! 
That's nothing to do with it, friend. That's like, no, that's like pretending, a, a, you know, a, an ace mechanic is a guy that uh, goes down and buys plastic models of Ferraris. No, no. Uh, two different uh, two different bippies. But nevertheless, I'm I'm on the South Halsted Street one day, and I I'm walking around, there and I'm trying to I'm trying to get myself uh, a couple of speakers, see, for this uh, big fantastic 50 watt amplifier I built. So uh, any kid out there who knows, uh, you know, who knows anything about electronics, he knows this this great excitement. See, I have been saving dough, and you know, I got this paper out, and I'm setting pins, and I got a couple of other little deals on the side, and. And I've saved up about maybe 25, 30 bucks to buy these speakers, which is a lot of dough for a kid to buy speakers. You know, this is just speakers. So I'm scrounging around, and there was one place down there, Moe's Joint. Uh, there's always two or three places that the really in radio guys know about. They don't go to places like Harvey. You know, they don't, that, that, that's, for, uh, that's for the squares. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is where you buy it out of a catalog. And so I go down to Moe's Joint, and I'm with Schwartz. And uh, I told him, well, what I want. I says, listen, I want a couple of, uh, I want a couple of, uh, probably a couple of good big 15-inch, I don't care what kind, Ehrlich, Jensen, you name it. And, uh, but I want something that's got a good bass response, see. And uh, he says, okay. He says, come with me. And uh, down in the basement we go, which is where the real in guys were. You see, down in the basement, he had all this stuff up on shelves. It was not upstairs. It was stuff that he, uh, who knows, you know, hot speakers <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. So I'm down there looking. He got a whole pile of turntables. About, must have had 500 turntables. And I said, where would you get the turntables? And he said, uh, you, you want one? I said, no, I don't think so. Uh, then don't ask questions. And so <laughs> so I, I, I finally spot what I wanted, saying up on the... Up on the shelf, had a whole whole mess of these fifteen-inch Jensen speakers. So, so uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm checking it checking it out, you know. And I'm, I'm uh, trying to play in the cone, and, and I'm pushing on it to see whether or not the clearance of the voice coil is okay. And you know, I'm blowing in there to see whether or not this. He says, "You want it or not?" And I says, "What do you mean, Mo? Can I look at his better They're okay. They're all good. I'll tell you that now. Either you want to buy or you don't." So I says, "All right, Mo. I want to buy. How much?" There's the moment of truth, see, because this is not catalog stuff. So he said, well, uh, I can't let these go for less than 15 bucks. Oh, come on. Are you out of your bird? <laughs> Who do you think you're talking? You're talking to W9QWN, man. <laughs> well, I would say $12, you old customer. There's a pregnant pause. I say $9. You got a deal. I peels out the dough, and he sees I got more than twenty bucks, which bugged him. <laughs> so I give him the two ten dollar bills, and out we go. We each got under one arm, lugging these things. They weigh about a ton, you know, big dynamic speaker. And uh, Schwartz is carrying one. I got the other. And uh, we lug it all the way home on a bus. You know, he's sitting in one seat, the big thing, and I'm sitting on the other seat, the big thing. So we got these two fantastic speakers. Well, I had bought myself a big 8 by 5 piece of 5-ply wood. You know, 5-ply? I bought it at the lumber yard, and I was waiting. See, this is going to be the big moment. So I take the 5-ply, and I, I measure the, you know, I got the speaker, and I make a template out of it and all that, and I get my keyhole saw, and I drill a hole, and now I'm making holes for the speakers. See, these great big babies, and they're separated by 8 feet. I have this big 8 feet by 5-foot hunk of plywood. Wait a ton. So <laughs> I, I mount the two speakers with bolts, four bolts, all the way through this baby, see? 
Well, now, I go into my bedroom, which is in the front bedroom of the house, see? And now I'm spending the whole Saturday mounting this thing up on the wall. It's, it's, it's hung in the corner, you see. So I got the baffle effect of the corner of the wall, the whole business, see. And I had lined it with the, well, it was this, uh, what the, this, uh, flint coat. You know, that, uh, soft stuff that you use, uh, that you use for insulation. See, I'd lined this baby with insulation. Boy, it was, it was all right, see. So I put this baby up and I had cut out two big pieces of speaker grill cloth. Gold speaker grill cloth, which I had glued over the back part of the hole. Then the rest of it on the outside, I had taken this uh, this walnut stain. See, I had that walnut stained this whole baby, and now it's hanging up there. Boy, it looked great. See? And so, so I, I I I ran the I ran the leads down, and now I am I am beginning to hook this thing up, probably with home and one thing or another. And I had I had got myself at Moe's a couple of weeks before. I bought myself an ecstatic crystal pickup. And one of those long black crystal finished types, you know. And uh, boy, it was the pride of my life. And I had this turntable, and so I began to feed stuff into this thing. And you should have heard it. It was fantastic. I want to tell you, I could have busted windows in the A&P, if, <laughs> which was five blocks away, if I had turned that full gain up. Because, you know, the pair of 6L6s, there's a lot of, with 700 volts on the plate, man, I'm getting a lot of oomph. In this. And this is legitimate wattage, man. I mean, this was not, uh, you know, a technical wattage, which you read very carefully. And there's little figures and all that come after it, which says you're actually got six watts, in spite of the fact we tell you 18, you know. But I turn this thing, boom, it booms out. Well, now, you want to know what I'm playing on it? Okay. The old man, you see, all the time, he's watching this from a distance. He comes in once in a while, he'd look in, he'd stick his head in the window and say, uh, oh, you're playing with the wires, huh? At the, <laughs> you know, playing with wires, huh? And I'd say, yeah, and then I'm playing with wires. Say, that's a, what is that? The bow? that's speakers up there, loudspeakers. You see, when you get the, a, a, another generation calls them loudspeakers. He said, oh, loudspeakers. And I said, yeah, loudspeakers, Dad. Of course, we didn't call them that. We just called them twin Jensen's, you know. <laughs> we never called them speakers. And so he said, oh, what are you going to do? Oh, boy, that's uh, very good. Uh, uh, you're, building a, you're building a Victrola. Yeah, building a Victrola, Dad. And so the old man, he keeps sitting in the front there, you know, and he's reading his Chicago Tribune, and he's got this. <laughs> we, we, his pride and joy was this big Scott radio he had gotten. See, this was, he, his life was built on this thing. And he had this Scott radio, and it had a record changer on it. One of these big babies, you know, every once in a while it would, uh, would get mad at somebody and would start throwing records around the room, you know, just like, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, I'll never forget my Aunt Gwen got, got a shot in the solar plexus one day from the from Beethoven's... Second Symphony, tell you. And uh, this thing just to peel them off. I'll never forget one day it got out, you know. And, and the old man sitting everybody's sitting around listening to record players, see. And uh, my Aunt Glenn was over, Michael Tom. All of a sudden, they just started to go, walk, walk. And they're going, shh. They'd sail across the room, just like, you know, just like you take a bottle. Okay? And the old man is trying to feel, the oh, my records are quick, turn it up. Well, this is his pride and joy. Well, now, his idea of a really great record, really great record, was, uh, let's say, uh, Wayne King uh, and his golden saxophone uh, plays uh, the Blue Danube. And once in a while when he's going really far out, the old man would start busting out his Isham Jones record. See, <laughs> that's right, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, so, yeah, he's got all these, uh, you know, these records he's got that he thinks are real groovy. See, well, I, I am, you know, I'm hanging around. So what I did, I, I did it, you know, it was just a terrible moment. 
I came home, and I put on a record player. I had bought some records, which once in a while... I never had my own record player up to this point, and I've been fooling around, and so I decided I'm going to buy records. You know, the first record I ever bought, which I'll never forget it, I brought this thing home, and it was a Kenton record. Well, now, Kenton was, you know, pretty loud compared to uh, Isham Jones. <laughs> I mean, and he went way out there. And so, I, uh, that as far, as far as the old man was concerned, so... I brought back, it was a big, one of these big 12-inch discs that Kent was turning out there, and it was a vinyl, big 12-inch vinyl. Remember big 12-inch 78 vinyls? And uh, this was just at the time when they were going into LP, just the beginning of the LP scene. And uh, they were still making big 12-inch vinyls. It cost you an arm and a leg, so high fidelity and all that stuff, or that's what they said anyway. Orthophonic fidelity, they call it. So I take this record, and I'm playing around in there. Also, he's not home. See, all Saturday, nobody's home. And I am having a ball. Let me tell you, you put Stanton, you put Kenton and uh, Pete Rugolo and uh, something like a peanut vendor through a 6L6 audio system with a pair of, uh, you know, a pair of 700-volt transformers on the plate, man, and two 15-inch Jensen's, you're going to get a lot of sound out of that. So I am blasting the joint. Well, the old man comes home. And a place, you know, he just boy, I'll tell you, the, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, the, the dinnerware in the kitchen is jiggling up and down, and that's about a half a house away, you know. Boom, boom, the stuff. And, you know, Kent, wah, and these wild brass cores, you know. And the old man comes to the door of the bedroom, and he looks in at me, and he says, What's all that noise? What is the noise? Cut it out. What are you doing? You're trying to drive your mother crazy? Because he always, any time he wanted to, he always blamed it on my old lady, see. Whereas, actually, it was him. So, you're trying to drive your mother out of her mind? And, uh, of course, he didn't, you know, stop to think that the, my mother was down at the Orpheum, you know, watching Carol Lombard or something. So, <laughs> well, anyway, this, this, you know, this whole thing was obviously, there was no communication whatsoever. None whatsoever. I mean, none. None. Believe me, friend, if you, if you think there's any, any... And, and then, then the second record that I brought in that really killed him, I'll tell you, this, this, this really, he, 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 almost, he almost had a heart attack. That was just a terrible moment. When I'm starting to play Gillespie, well, I bring in Dizzy Gillespie, see, and of course Gillespie did Salt Peanuts, I remember. He, 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 that, was, that, was a standard, that was a standard thing, pennies from heaven. At the, at the, you know, of course, Dizzy uh, took Kenton and went about 17 more yards with it. Well... There was just no communication whatsoever. The old man, you know, the, the old man, he just did, just, he would blot it out. His, his, uh, his, his, always, one phrase he had, just one phrase described anything I was doing in the front bedroom with the record player from that day on, with my, you know, with my ecstatic pickup and all that. He'd say, uh, noise. What is that noise you're playing in there? I said, why don't you put some real records? I says, Dad, what is a real record? Remember the day? What is a real record? And he says, now, he says, you really want to know? He says, you know, the trouble with you people, you confuse noise for music. I said, no. He says, first of all, he says, you can't whistle that stuff. What good is music if you can't whistle it? You can't whistle it. Well, you know, the obvious answer to that is, Dad, have you ever tried to whistle any of Bach's sonatas? You ought to try whistling along with, uh, with the Budapest String Quartet for more than five you know, seconds. You ever try to whistle the cello part of Mozart? But the, his, his idea, no, you, if, you didn't, if you couldn't whistle it or hum it, it wasn't music. That was his basic litmus test. Now, if he could hum it, and he was a terrible hummer. You see, so that limited what could be music right from the start. So the old man says, if you can't whistle or if you can't hum it, 
It ain't music. And he had another one other criteria. He says, uh, if I feel like tapping my foot, when I hear the music, then it's good music. Well, uh, <laughs> that was the end of it. So he uh, he says, look, I'll, sh- I'll play you a record. He says, I'll show you a good record. And this is a one embarrassing day. Schwartz was overseen. We're, we're kind of humoring the old coots. He said, I'll show you a record. So the, he goes into his, he gets into his Scott amplifier, and he's pulling out all these records he had. He had a big drawer full of records. See, these were these big kind that came in albums and stuff. And so he's got his record. He brings it in. He says, now, look, he says, he says, now, I'm going to show you a record. He says, now, this is really a record. He says, now, you guys want to hear jazz? And uh, Schwartz says nothing. I say nothing. He says, you want to really hear jazz? I figure, what's he going to show us this time? See, what's he going to play? So he takes up this 10-inch record, and he treats it like as if it's gold. See, it's just, he blows it off. See, he's breaking out one of the records that he rarely even plays, rarely plays. On his own record player, you know, because it's such a precious record, probably a record that was big in his day when he was a kid, see? And this is a precious heirloom, a priceless piece of total culture. So he takes it out, he puts it on, he says, now, where do you hear this? Now, this, he says, uh, how do you turn this thing? I said, Dad, it's on. Because everything he ever had, you know, had dials that lit up all over the place, see? And all I had was this little red pilot light, see? So he says, so, well, turn it on. How do you do it? I said, okay, Dad, so I turn on the thing. I said, what is it, 78? Yeah, 78. So I, I turn the thing on. Of course, it was one of these thick records. It, it must have weighed a you know, pound and a half itself, see? So I laid the ecstatic thing on there, and it was so rough to begin with. You know, these records were made originally out of slate. It was so rough that the ecstatic keeps hopping off. There we go. So I had to put a package of his Lucky Strikes on the ecstatic pickup on the edge, see, to give it a little more weight so it would ride in the grooves. And he says, boy, I said, wait, you hear this? And so we're waiting. Schwartz is waiting. Of course, the hiss comes out. This fantastic record. It's coming out. So I throw in all the filter I got. I had a couple of filters building this thing. It's coming out. And then it starts. It goes. The old man's sitting there. And. It's, it's, I says, what is that? And Schwartz is looking at his eyeballs. And the old man is totally out of his bird. He's sitting there, his eyeballs are, you know, just, he's, oh man, he says, listen to that, listen to that section work. Oh, well, I said, what is that, Dad? He says, sir, you never heard of this, man. He says, this is, that noise, you listen to that chunk, you would not even notice. He said, but man, this is the real, and I said, what are they playing? He says, Nola. I says, Nola. <laughs> and, uh, and I says, who is it, Ben? He says, oh, he says, this is, uh, this is, this is, this is it. He says, you wouldn't understand. I says, who is it? Well, I remember to this day the name of the band that he thought was the ultimate band of all time. His idea of the ultimate. You want to know what it was? Coon Sanders. <laughs> well, you know... I, you know, the, it was so funny, see, because I, I thought, well, Coon Sanders. And the old man is sitting there, see, it, the name sounded like a, you know, kind of a camp name, a put-on name anyway. So he's sitting there, seeing his eyeballs are bugging out, and my mother comes in. See, she hears it now. See, like a clarion call. See, she's in the kitchen, and she hears... Because, you see, this was considered total jazz. So... She comes running in. She says, oh, isn't that wonderful? And here she is. She's got her hands. You know, she's got 
drying her hands on this towel, and you could smell, you know, you could smell the cabbage all around her. She's got on her, her, uh, her you know, she's wearing her old bathrobe there with the egg on it. See, her hair is up in curlers, and here is 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 this band, Carlton Coon playing Nola, and the two of them just, oh, that's really music. See, and Schwartz and I sat on the day bed. Coon Sanders coming out of two 15-inch Jensen. Dynamic speakers, a pair of 6L6s with the 50 watts plus of audio, driven by four 6C5s, 6SJ7s. I mean, that's a lot of audio. Even you'll admit that. That's, yeah, with 750 volts on the plate of the 6L6s. This is, yes, sir, don't think you couldn't do it. I did it, man. I had water pouring over the top of the 6L6s. So, you know that I saw a guy one time. Listen, I'm gonna. If you, you're you're an electronic type out there, I saw a guy one time. Are you ready for this? He took a transformer, 2,000 volt transformer, and uh, it was about a 200 mil transformer, and he he took it out of the case, and he he submerged it in oil. You know, to keep it cool. I mean, it was in a big pot of oil. He ran the leads out. And then he took two electric fans, and he built this thing up on a, on a stand. He put the, put the tube socket, which was an Isolantite tube socket, a ceramic tube socket, and he mounted it up so that it could be cooled. And he blew cold air over this thing all the time when it was on. I'm telling you about a guy that put 500 watts into a single 6L6G. Now, I saw that done. <laughs> And, man, that thing was white hot, but it worked. And, uh, you know, this was a big, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, really. It's like flying the ocean in a J3 Cub or something, see? And he did. So so here's this fantastic music coming up. And it's... It's Nola being played by Coon Sanders and Schwartz. And the old man plays this record. Well, that whole afternoon, we're sitting in the day bed. He drags out his records. And he says, now, how about some really good classical music? How about that? We'll try out the record player. Because this record player, the fantastic sound, you know, was knocking him out. So his idea of classical music, if you're ready for this, friends, was, uh, <laughs> are you ready for it? Was uh, Rubinoff and his violin playing gypsy melodies. And he had, he had this big album called Rubinoff Plays Gypsy Melodies. Uh, you know who Rubinoff was? Did you ever hear Rubinoff? Well, my old man used to figure Rubinoff was right next to God. I mean, Rubinoff, Rubinoff, God, and uh, and the classics were all one and the same. And so he is playing gypsy melodies. La cha 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 la cha cha. Mother and father sit there, they're not, and they're really digging this thing. And so in the middle of all that. Schwartz looks over at me, you know, and I get the old look that says, let's split. And so with that, we go out on the front porch, and we can hear Gypsy Melodies and Nola and Isham Jones and Gene Goldcat and all that stuff coming out. And they were completely in their, their, their little piece of amber, locked in forever. Now, a lot of you out there think you are not going to be locked in forever, don't you? I'm going to give you... A sad piece of truth. You already are locked in. We're born locked in. And 25 years from now, there will be old coots sitting around 
and they'll be sitting in their pad, you know, and they'll be they'll be smoking marijuana, which will be as out of date 25 years from now as, uh, let's say, uh, gin bucks are out of date today. <laughs> and they'll be sitting around, you know, smoking these joints, and their, their, you know, and their jowls will be jiggling up and down, and their long hair, which will be heavily graying, they'll be sitting there in front of the Stones records. Oh, man. Oh, man, man. What's this noise these, these idiots are playing out there? Oh, man, man. Man, 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 man. The now generation. And, uh, and this kid writes, and he says, his mother got up. Do you want to hear the last moment? He says, Lawrence Welk started to play the worst Ricky Tick version of the Sheik of Araby you ever heard. And he says, my mother got up and started to dance. He says, I couldn't believe the sight of the Sheik of Araby. She says, she kept powering to my old man. They're playing the Sheik. And once again, this hard-hitting, deeply concerned, involved moment of time has delved just beyond the edge of the skeleton where the long, cool, hard winds blow from the Arctic Sea of Time. Oh, whoa, oh, whoa. But uh, you can always kid yourself by pretending that the amber that you're frozen into is a better grade of amber than the amber that the others are frozen into. Of course, it's true, too. I mean, you know, they've improved amber just like they've improved everything else along the line. After all, let's face it, I mean, uh, the new balsa wood transmissions uh, that are coming out in the 1970 cars are really an improvement over, well, six of one, half a dozen of the other... And, uh, wait till it comes out in 74, 74 channel tape. And, uh, that way you'll be able to hear even more clearly the great blasts of mediocrity that uh, each one of us thinks is the final, total, ultimate statement of eventual proof. Oh, oh. 